Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. With me today, I am... I'm thrilled to have this woman with me today. It uh, w- We met incidentally, accidentally, uh, fortuitously, and through fate. Um, this is who I have today is someone very special to me. She's dear to my heart, and we've only known each other a very short time. Uh, her name is Colleen Mertes. Did I pronounce that right? How do you Colleen. say? It? I say Colleen Murdis. Murdis. Okay. I hit the T a little hard. Um, she is, uh, and, and now you've seen her for a second. So uh, she is a longtime Southern California resident. Um, she went to Cal State Long Beach to, um, to become a nurse and had a specialty in labor and delivery, but that's not why she's on today. I met her, uh, some of you know that I have a long-time passion for literacy. For those of you that don't know, it's a thing. Like, if you can't read, your ability to communicate with others who can is really hampered. And it doesn't mean that you don't know the language. It just means that you, you're going to hold back from engaging in ways that are meaningful. And it could also mean that your ability to have stronger levels of critical thinking might be impaired just a little bit. And so I'm bringing Colleen on because she is, she essentially runs, she's the executive director of an organization called the John Corcoran Foundation. And that organization is doing wonders in the world of literacy. And rather than go on and on, I am going to introduce you to Colleen. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. So, so here we are. Um, I got introduced to you when I found out about a film that was being produced about literacy. And I got to jump in and help to make that happen. Um, In a big way. And forever (laughs) will the John Corcoran Foundation be grateful for um, the help you provided to make it happen. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, again, like that's a passion of mine. So, so happy to be able to do that. Why don't we talk about, you didn't, you, you didn't start out, like none of us starts out going, let's make literacy a thing. Like we go through school, we learn our own stuff. We don't even think that other people can or can't read. Um, we might know about hyperactivity or right ADHD, or we might know about uh, people on the spectrum, and you know the, and we might know about other people who are challenged in different ways. The thing about literacy or illiteracy and functional illiteracy is that 
it is a hidden crisis. So talk a little bit about, before we get into that, let's find out about the human side of Colleen. Yeah. So you so grew up. I, I, I mean, I'll just go. I talked yeah. a lot. Um, I loved my um, career in nursing. I, I just am passionate about pregnancy and the babies and all that. And I, you know, never, like Wayne just explained, never thought of literacy at all, honestly. Um, and then I was introduced to illiteracy when my dad was 48. And so that made me like 20 years old, 21 years old, when he came and revealed his secret his lifelong secret that he had been illiterate and was just learning to read. So at 20 years old, I hadn't actually, I guess I wasn't even a nurse yet. You know, I don't, didn't even think about that timeline. I was still in school, um, but he revealed his illiteracy. And to tell you the honest truth, 20 year olds are quite self-centered and so as I was thrilled to be on 2020 and that he was on Oprah and did all sorts of things in those ensuing years, I really did still didn't get it. Gosh, that sounds so hard hearted right now. But um, as I say it, but I, I, I didn't understand the pain Um and so that I went along supporting literacy movements, supporting my dad went all over the country speaking about literacy and the troubles of illiteracy and so all of that. I'm going to back you up a little bit Good, because you grew up in a home where it was pretty normal yes. or at least you thought it was normal, right? I thought it was normal until the day my dad told me he couldn't read. Um, and we grew up. So I want to pause there because that's like, you know, you just sort of say, you know, so at 48, you know, when my dad was 48 and I was what, 20, 21, you know, my dad revealed to us that he couldn't read. And then it was like 2020 showed up and Oprah showed up. It's like, no, that, that part's not normal for most of us. So, so pause Let's wind back the clock a little bit. You're a kid. You're growing up. At some point, like in your 20s, when you did realize, you know, that, wow, that was a thing, you had to have had reflections about, oh, at the restaurant when he'd either, what, point to pictures or ask you what it said. Like, what what you believed was normal, you probably unraveled at some point and re like relayed a new layer of understanding on. So can you talk about normal and the new kind of, Oh, like it wasn't normal. I was put in this position to dot, dot, dot. Yes. I, so I grew up feeling very normal. Um, in as far as I had, I mean, I was actually felt very thankful and blessed. I had parents that were loved one another and loved my brother and I, and we had a big extended family. I had like five cousins that were like siblings to me. Um, so I, I grew up 
just thinking my dad, I mean, and as I look back, you know, he, he was normal. He was a school teacher. So he got home from work at like 3 p.m. So in that way, it was better than normal because we had a dad who was around in the afternoon and he coached basketball and I got to go to all his games and that kind of thing. So it was pretty idyllic. And then, and I did see there were, there were years in my teenage life that my dad's, um, he had gotten out of teaching and he was now a very successful developer, um, businessman, real estate. And so he, there were problems in business and particularly with a family partner, business partner. And so I saw hard times and I saw, you know, it wasn't like pure joy growing up. There were, there were hard things like everyone experiences. And so during that time, I saw more of um, what I now know is, was like uh, fear and kind of an anger that was probably now I know was like trying to protect himself because he was going to be not that not no one I mean no one knew that he was could read but he, or that he couldn't read but he just just any sort of sort of exposure where people would dig in a little more I know that's what he was feeling when business wasn't booming so when he um told me that he could read I couldn't read my um, husband, now husband and I were actually at, we were up in LA, Woodland Hills at my now in-laws. Um, and we had had a great dinner with them and, and been at the pool and they, we walked them out to the car because they were going to go back to San Diego. And um, he said, we, I have something to tell you. And he told me, and my parents always say they are shocked that I received it so well because I was a, you know, spoiled 20 year old that I didn't want it to mess up my um, days or, or I don't know. I just, but they were, they were shocked that I wasn't more critical. Um, And in fact, on 2020, there is forever to go back into archives. My mother saying, well, my daughter's very critical. So you know, we were shocked, which I'm like, thanks, mom. But um, I, I don't know. I just accepted it. And I think immediately I started reflecting and I started understanding. And um, I, there's definitely those really obvious things like going to the restaurant and him ordering something that wasn't on the menu and me getting mad at him every time at a Mexican restaurant, he always ordered chili verde and only about half restaurants have that. And so he orders it, dad, why don't you read the menu? I wrote every single note that I was ever, you know, for school that I was to write. um, And then he signed it or uh, that, you know, things, all those typical things. I started thinking about him always carrying a newspaper with him. I started thinking about him always having or misplacing his glasses, which now, as I know, years later, these are so, so typical of um, people, you know, kind of hiding their secrets. More emotionally, I see 
uh, why the family unit that was already, because both my grandparents had been orphans themselves, that my dad's family was already a very, very tight, protective, loyal unit. And honestly, my dad, he had his teacher friends and he had work friends, but he didn't really go outside of that circle. And I now I see that's why he didn't go outside of that circle because, you know, with the, um, yeah, it just, it wasn't, he didn't even, not that he, I mean, he was super friendly. It wasn't that he didn't, wasn't friendly to neighbors, wasn't friendly to the guys he played basketball with, but he never, I think, developed relationships outside of a very protective view. Um, and it wasn't that those protective people knew about his secret. It was, I guess, just him protecting himself. If the anyone ever did find out, those would be the ones loyal to him. Sorry, Wayne, you got to stop me because I can talk forever. I, I love it. I'm taking some notes as you're talking. I do want to back you up because um, you just you were talking about your dad at 48 revealing that he was illiterate. and in almost the next sentence, you're like, so he was a school teacher. So he was a developer. It's like nobody, my guess is none of our audience would think illiterate equals school teacher, right? Here's somebody who cannot read, um, has tricks, like you mentioned the newspaper. And um, and the thing is, right, the, that the whole idea of the newspaper i found this out when i was when i was doing employee assistance work for the railroad that um they're one of the tricks of the of those that can't read is actually to carry a newspaper to watch television to learn what the news reports are and then set the newspaper down and have a discussion about daily news um my my brother and i were pretty spoiled little kids, but my dad, it was a no, uh, no, no choices, no spoil. If he, he had to watch the news every day. And that, mm-hmm. that is definitely how he thought that. Um, and he, he always talks about like, he knew that people, um, had negative feelings about television, you know, that, um, but that's where he learned. We didn't have like discovery. I mean, he just, ate up anything he could on television. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's fed that way. And, and (laughs) who knows, you might've turned out different had he watched a different news channel, you know, it's like, who knows? Uh, It's interesting, right? So school teacher, and I would like to have you reflect on, I'm sure at this point he's told you stories. He told us stories uh, uh, of how he managed. I would love to hear that and have our, have you share that with the audience. Um, and then also talk about how did he move from school teaching to become a developer? Um, and then there's a piece missing Colleen, which is, and then 2020 happened and Oprah happened. It's like, that doesn't happen to most of us. So at some point, like when his story exploded, what happened? So talk a little bit about the school teacher. Talk a little bit about the um, 
because this is something, you know, it's like you, you, we rely on school teachers to teach our kids, assuming that they are reading and guiding. And uh, here's this man that was amazing at retention. So So my dad was, I am going to say this, like an excellent high school teacher. He has um, students just, just a couple of months ago, you know, we were downtown Oceanside and someone came up to him and just was like, you saved my life. You changed my life. I, and this didn't have anything to do with literacy. This was when he was illiterate, literate in the classroom. But my dad knew what it was like to be the underdog. He knew that there were a lot of people um, struggling. And this was like in the, you know, 60s, 70s. And he had, I don't know, an extra dose of um, compassion and desire for equality and for um, just that the value of people wasn't in anything, you know, as far as their, whether it was their IQ, which at that point, you know, he assumed he was not very smart um, or the color of their skin or where they came from or all that. So he had um, a love for his students that was unlike other teachers because of this um, secret he held and his own own vulnerability. Did you say you assumed he wasn't that smart? Uh, He, I think he assumed most illiterates will assume they are not smart because that's what we still teach in school. (gasps) oh my gosh, he's reading and he's in first grade. You're so smart. You're so smart. I mean, that is still, unfortunately, though we know it has nothing to do with IQ. That is not a public perception. So I, I love this. Yeah. I want to, here's where, here's where I want to go. So I'm sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to guide you yeah, so you. that, so that we get this. I want to talk about your dad. I want to talk about his, his story. I want to talk about your story. And I want to talk about public perception like we do think that oh like it's not something we think about right until you call it out it's it's one of those assumptions someone can read they are so smart they are rewarded for being that smart and and illiteracy doesn't have to do with that um and talking with somebody who was a school teacher who was told that they had to pass students. They had to pass students um, because, right, the the their parents had paid a certain amount, right. So that like that's huge. So um, it's like and or the school needed a certain score, so you have to pass this child. It's like. Mm, not going to happen from me. (laughs) The more I've talked to teachers, the more scary it becomes to learn this. So talk a little bit about your dad 
as he he like there was an assumption that he wasn't bright and yet everything about him i've met him he's such a beautiful human um everything about him is it, it it reeks of intelligent thought right and compassion and it's like how could he think that he wasn't that smart right so talk a little bit about that and then um my dad um he my dad grew up in with loving parents that he tells tells very clearly in almost every you know speech he gives that till he was six years old he was told he was a winner at home, his parents said he was the brightest, greatest kid there ever was. And then once he went to school, the system told him something very different. And by the time he got, um, he goes through his stages of just pure innocence to anger, to apathy, to um, like, you know, just, he's gonna, he's gonna now work the system. And that's where he ended up. And he, because of his parents, he still had someone telling him he had value. What I see today, especially when I work in the inner cities, and in lower socioeconomic situations. If parents, for whatever reason, whether they're um, both just working two jobs to make ends meet, whether it's one mom working three jobs, whether they're strung out on drugs, whether there's just no, um, there's no like pillow, there's no safety net. It's, if you don't have someone at home telling you, you have value, like a lot. It can't just be once, you know, it has to be that a secure feeling at home, all of that. Then the system has not changed at all in the 75 years since my dad started, right? It is the system will still uh, make you feel less than, make you feel less worthy, um, less valued than the students that are testing well. It is horrid that the system has teachers um, in this position where tests matter so much because unfortunately teachers are humans and they uh, their feelings and their nuances do affect the children. And when I have kids now that are, it doesn't matter. And this is, this is from a, you know, healthy home environment or a not so healthy home environment. If I have a kid over seven years old or even seven years and older or an adult, I mean, the first day one, what I'm going to be talking to them is about how struggling to read has nothing to do an IQ. It has nothing. There is, there is no correlation um, that you can, you know, that goes one way that they, that they assume it does. So, so yeah. how do people, how, I do want to like all these unanswered questions, right? So I want to get to how, how 
do people get missed? Like that's all part of it. Plus, like there are so there are gaps in in what I want to talk about, Colleen. And here's what I want to do. I want to fill in a gap and then we'll go to the next piece, okay. which is which is this. You moved from nursing, like you moved from being 20 to getting into nursing. You specialized in in labor and delivery. And then you figured out, oh my gosh, like literacy is a thing and all of your heart of service needs to to be focused there. Is, is that right-ish? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I was married, having children and working in labor and delivery and absolutely loving it. We, My husband had an opportunity for us to go live in Paris, France for a few years. And we wow. did that. We had our fourth baby over there. It was amazing. And just as an aside about my dad, oh my gosh, he loved com- coming over to visit. At that time, my mom was still working. She's a nurse in the school district. And my dad, she would have to go back to work and he would stay for a couple more weeks so he could just walk the streets and learn so much because now he could read and take things in visually. So the museums across Europe and we would go and it was it was just such a it, it was an amazingly rich time for to see what happened when you didn't only have one sense to take in information, but now you can actually you know do it a lot more. So anyway, we come back from we come back from Europe and at this time I had four kids, then we took in another um son, a relative son. And so I um, was out of the hospital at that point. And it really was still a lot of years. And I did, I would help my dad with things and I would, you know, support him and go to speeches and do all those types of things. But honestly, it wasn't another, you know, 15 till another 15 years later, when my daughter graduated from college, my oldest daughter, she went to um, work in the Silicon Valley. And then my dad talked her into coming and running the foundation. And she did that. So this is how the truth of how I got passionate. Sometimes, you know, it has to come away, you're not really expecting. But when I saw my daughter with such a need, because we did at that point, we were tutoring thousands of kids. Um, in the inner cities across California and Colorado and giving them a a laptop and Wi-Fi access because this was all before they everyone every house had it Um, and so she needed tutors so I said I'm going let me help you I'll you know I'll I'll do whatever it takes I'll I didn't need a specialization in education you just needed I mean the only qualification or I mean was a college degree and so I so I said, got the training, got the initial training. And this is what brought me in. The first, the first kids I met online. Um, I I didn't understand that it was still happening today. I, I knew my dad's story, but I didn't really, really know that these kids were suffering, that they were in school every day and they 
they they couldn't read and they're just pretending they can't. And you just see the little heartache. And when I saw, honestly, transformation, like lives transformed as they learned to read. And also as I just, I don't know what else to call it, but loved on them through the screen as I cared about them, as I asked them, and we would go at the beginning to drop off the computers into all these inner cities. So we knew what we were dealing with. We knew um, so many hard, hard situations. But if I could get them on um, the screen with me, I could see even from the beginning of our, the hour to the end of the hour, what a difference the connection made. And then I started, you know, so I was doing that and just. So I'm just, I'm going to pause you here because the, the ability to connect, I mean, it ties back to what you said about having somebody at home who can tell you that they believe in you. Right. And without that, there is a system failure. And then to find that there's a foundation that is supportive with real humans, whether it's in person or on the other side of a screen, to say, I do believe in you. You know, even whether or not, no matter what your home situation is, right? I believe in you. And that is huge. It is a huge statement and it's a huge gift of heart. It is what service is about. It, it's fabulous. It is a huge gift of heart. And so at the beginning, I even then, and even now, sometimes it is, I'm more emotive and relational. Yeah. And that is where I see that transformation. But I will also say now, having been in this for close to 15 years, I, there has to be the truth behind it. Like the actual teaching has to be solid. You, I, I can love on the person, but if I just love on them and don't give them the actual tools, oh. it's, a, it's, you know, it's still a, it, I'm, yeah, not, there's, it's, I'm not taking them to their full potential. And that is what I think, unfortunately in classrooms, I, a lot of times, you know, you get one or the other, and we're talking humans and they need connection and they need tools. It, it really is. It can't be one or the other. Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, would like to invite you to dare to declare that your dreams are worthy. Beyond all of the success you have that got you here, you know you're bigger than the life you're currently living. What have you set aside to get to where you are? Don't you want to wake that back up? It really is possible to explore new dreams and dare to desire without giving up your current path of success. Pop over to Dr. Purnell's free masterclass to help you get from your desire to your destination. www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com That's powerfulpresencemasterclass.com Dr. P's free masterclass is at www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com.
let's talk about the media. How did that enter your life? Let's talk Uh, about then the foundation. And then let's make sure we talk about what tools there are that that maybe people at home could even use just to, to engage with kids who are at the four, five, six year old level or engage with adults who are hiding, right? It is a hidden crisis. So it is a hidden crisis. And like anything, I believe that speaking the truth and just the more we talk about it with someone we just met, whether it's something in passing where, oh my gosh, you know, did you know about this situation or, or just whatever, that's yeah. how it becomes not so shame-based, not so shameful, not something people, um, you know, feel, feel less than about, feel like they can't tell anyone when we can just speak it about it truthfully. Yeah. There will become, you know, a better, yeah, better acceptance and, and just, yeah, it's better for everyone. So, so we'll get to the tools and we'll okay. get to the, we'll get to that. Tell us about the, the media. Yeah. How did so, that? Okay. So my dad learned to read at the Carlsbad library right here, you know, in our hometown. And he. How, how uh, did he do that? He, so he. At he 48, went, you don't just walk to a librarian and go. Hey, I can't read. And actually, there's all these books. Actually, that is pretty much what he did. He talks about having want, tried to learn to read every day of his life. You know, he would wake up and look at the book and hope that look at that newsletter and hope something made sense. He was in, I was telling you about kind of the business crises of the um, early 80s or, you know, that, that they... My dad was having trouble in business, so he had had to let go of, you know, his lawyer on on staff and his whatever accountants. I mean, hope he still had accountants, but, you know, had let go of a lot of the pieces of the business. And so he just was at a super, super desperate place and he decided, um, I'll give it a try. He heard two older ladies at the grocery store talking about the adult literacy program. And then he went the next day and he met a little old lady named Eleanor and she um, taught him the very basics. And they, it's sort of a small town around here. My dad was a big developer. They, you know, they, someone in the library system knew, wait a minute, this guy's a businessman and he's just learning to read. And somehow they talked him into um, opening up about it. And there was a, like a, I don't know, Better Business Bureau conference in San Diego. And they got him to speak at it, uh, you know, to kind of give his testimony of, yes, it's true. There's adults, successful adults that can't read. And I think this only happened because he was in a desperate place because the business, the development business was in a bad place. The um, the economy was in crazy crisis. And so that's why I guess he did it. I Because I, he's a prideful man, I'll tell you that. Yep. So it, it took a lot, you know. And then it just happened that a man named Jim Duffy 
who is the president, who at the time was the president of ABC News, he was at this conference in San Diego. He heard his story and that's how the rest happened. And then it was, um, you know, Time Magazine and um, 2020 and Oprah and Larry King. And I mean, it went on and on for honestly decades, but in the beginning, it was really crazy. I, I will say that um, people were over, overwhelmingly supportive, but there are always angry people and the people that said, you know, that called him a liar and a cheat, which he was, and he, you know, readily and regretfully admits that that is the only way he saw to get through life was to put on a persona that yeah. was acceptable. And um, he, just pause but, there for a second, right? Just let that sink in for a second. Like that's, yeah. you know, the, the whole idea of being called a liar and cheat. It's like, that is, you know, that, the the anger comes from someone feeling duped i was duped by this guy i didn't know he was and then fill in the blank it could be stupid right instead of i didn't know he was illiterate and that's the difference again i think in people's minds is that if they feel duped by a stupid person it makes them stupid but if they've been engaged with somebody who's illiterate it just means that guy's really good at figuring out how to get by in the world and survive to age 48 before he seeks help. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. and there's I, no, there's no duping there really. No, it's like, wow. And I, I think even to this day and even, even with the, the movie that um, is being produced, the truth there, about reading. The truth about reading. There yeah. are um, naysayers. And there were naysayers to my dad's story. Like, oh, you didn't really not know how to read. <coughs> you didn't really. And, you know, there was just. So let me pause here for a second, too. You didn't really not know how to read. the One of the statistics, and there are lots of statistics out there. One of the statistics I saw was that. Uh, I believe it's around 54% of adult Americans are functionally illiterate at the sixth grade reading level or below. 21% are truly illiterate, as in can't read. That's like over 50%, which means if you look to the right and to the left and it's not you, it's it, it's possibly somebody you've engaged with Today, at the grocery store, whatever, it's like 54% of Americans. And it and sure, there are there are uh, uh, eco-ethnocentric pods where it could be you know more or less. That's still a whole lot of people, especially if we're expecting them to vote. Um, right, contribute in a different way, um, right? So, and it is, I under, 
understand why we say, oh, that number can't be true because people do get along. I mean, my dad was 48 and he was what we, when they, when they, he went to um, Linda Mood Bell, Pat Linda Mood Center, who was the top of the heap at the time. Um, he was reading at a second grade level. This is already after he'd been taught by the Carlsbad Library. So, so that, so, but that's how significant, like, so he probably went from first grade, which is just knowing that the stop sign is stopped, that that's the word. I mean, there is, so I understand why people say, oh, he can read some things, but reading is more than memorizing and recognizing and just having that. There's a lot more to it. Those people, those 50%, they cannot enjoy a novel. They cannot learn by reading. They cannot take in critical information that only, you know, read. Well, I'm not going to say only because now we do have a lot of other ways to take information. But a lot of things require, you know, a reading that is above a fourth grade level. If you're really going to then succeed at whatever you're doing. I mean, it just, it, it, it holds people back if they're only reading at a fourth, fifth grade level. It, yes. So it just, there's just no way to succeed in your job to be the best that you can be without these skills being higher. So when my dad, when these, when the kind of the only there was one like mean friend, ex teacher friend of my dad, or I mean he was teaching I think at the um, junior college then, but they had taught together, and he like tried to get on the local news and call him a liar and say all this stuff, and it was like, I mean it it I have so I'm just saying some of the media stuff was uncomfortable, and you know it is hard as the 20 year old to have people say negative things, but here's the thing. And my dad loves his family more than anything. If he was going to put himself and all those that he loved kind of through this roller coaster, especially my mom who worked in the school district that he had taught in. um, If he was going to kind of put us through that, it meant that the change from being illiterate, suffering in silence, feeling so alone to what he now felt had given him such peace and power and joy. He was willing to do, to want that for everyone that suffered like him he he was willing and that's still how I feel like even even today in my role as the executive director when I come across people who are just they don't understand that there's a literacy problem they can't imagine that teachers would pass a kid on that doesn't know how to read well no you can't they can't you can't graduate from high school or college without being able to read I'm like how you can but they don't but I fight, I am going to let that go because I know the truth. Like, because I know the actual people, I've 
sit down and I teach or I get phone calls from people all over the country, either, you know, a parent or a person themselves who is still struggling and wants help and all that stuff. And it's like, when you taste the, the freedom that truth brings, it, it, it was worth it for my dad and it's worth it for our family um, still today. And we're, that's why we continue. And that's why we went through this process. The, the movie that is being made. Um, the truth would, about reading. The truth about reading. It would be so much easier to just stay in our little circle and help the people we can help and do the things we've been doing. And my dad's 85 years old. It's like, dad, well, he's 84. He'll be mad if I said 85 until December, he'll be 85. Um, he'll, he, uh, it's just like, you can't, once you, once you know what that, how life-changing literacy is for people once you see the suffering in children and adults who have felt alone and felt um less than you're you're just willing to to do it and um you know do what it takes to get the movie made the truth about reading and um just and be excited and and not get not be discouraged even though we've been We've had the science for 40 plus years. You know, there's been the this grassroots effort for the science of reading to be widespread. So uh, what what is that, Colleen? Because right, I, I want you to we haven't talked about the the John Corcoran Foundation. Like that's that's huge and that's available to anybody, right? Uh, yeah. Um it's available to access as a resource. It is available if you felt a, a twinge of philanthropy and wanted to contribute so that others could read. Um, you know, both of those, it's available as a beautiful resource. And um, John Corcoran being your dad, um, because you have a different last name. So um, John Corcoran Foundation is worth looking up the truth about reading is worth looking up. Uh, go to YouTube and look at the truth about reading trailers that are out there. And, you know, we're recording this at a time when next month the, uh, the film will actually be released. My hope is that those watching this will search for the truth about reading film so that you can find out where it, where it is, being played and, and how to access it. Um, I want to just make this clear because I'm just learning this stuff too. We get to have the premiere next month, but it really won't be open to the public for a while because it will go to festivals and then, and you can't, you know, stream it or do those other things for a while. So keep looking for it and asking for it and do all that, but it may, it may not be actually available until, um, you know, the beginning of 2023. That's awesome. And this podcast will be available out there. So if it's past January, 2023, and you're seeing this or listening to it, look for the truth about reading. Um, and in the meantime, look for the John Corcoran foundation. And in the meantime, look for the truth about reading trailers, wherever they are. And just think about what is the truth. And I loved what you said when you said, um, 
you were challenged by, you know, people. It's like, well, that can't be true. Kids don't get past if they can't read. It's like that happens all the time. And that is the truth about reading is it happens all the time, which is why 21% of Americans can't read and 54% are at a functional level of elementary school. And the other, the other very (coughs) well accepted um, statistic I'll just throw out there is that 66% of fourth graders nationwide, that's like a failing grade, 60, or I guess it's, yeah, that's a very bad grade. Nationwide fourth graders do not read at a fourth grade level. They're not proficient where they're supposed to be. That means in some districts and some areas, the number's a lot higher. And then there are the some, some districts where, you know, numbers are much better. But overall, to have a 66% failure is just, there, there, there really is a crisis like in plain sight. There really is a problem with our system. And we were just, we kind of um, touched on the science of reading. Yes, um, please. Yes. Talk so, about the science of reading because that's where, that's where the hope lies is, wow, there's science. Like we can, we can learn how to cultivate it. So we can We now know how the brain learns to read for a um, easy to learn reader and a struggling reader. Like we know so much about it and the problem, and we've actually had much of this information since the beginning of really good brain imaging, which started like 40 years ago. There is a huge body of knowledge on the brain and how it learns to read and all the sorts of um, misfires and dysfunctions of all that and what to do about them. But those studies, that research, all that is done in the big, in bulk, in neuroscience, in psychological um, fields, in anatomy, all these places. It has not been done, the science and the research, in the school of education. That is not what they study. They do not study how to change, how the brain works regarding reading in the school of education. Therefore, There is a disconnect in university. There is science in those cognitive sciencey areas, and there is education. And the the two fields, the body of knowledge, doesn't easily connect. Um, Professors of one don't say, "How do I make this work for that?" And I know that's very simple, uh, simplifying the problem. But it really is atrocious that we, our universities, are not teaching, teaching teacher candidates, those going through their universities, the science of how the brain learns to read 
and the the five, there's like five components that need to happen. And we still have schools all over the country that don't pay attention to any of that and say, if you put a pretty book in front of a kid, they're going to learn to read. Just put another pretty book in front of a kid. Just you put another this or that and it'll happen. No, the science says no, absolutely not. You know, and all of these things that we know are not just for the struggling reader. They will also take um, the the normal brain function, you know, with regular synapses, all that stuff. They will take them to higher levels, more proficiency. And you know what? We're a nation that we've so kind of, I don't know, dumbed down so much that it, it would be okay even if we expected others, you know, each other to do even better. Like, okay is okay, but let's make this great. And that's kind of what the science of reading would do in the classroom for those who don't need it and who maybe will, who will. There are some that will pick it up. But for the vast majority, they need explicit instruction. Are there are there instructions that, you know, four or five tips or three tips that you have um, that you can share? Well, I, these, I mean, the... Talking about the sounds from preschool age and, you know, through kindergarten, first grade. If, if you can do anything phonemically, if you can have young children, you know, even just hear the sound in the word box, you know, box, if you yourself can break the sounds up, which most people can, if, if they, unless they have severe issues, those just having kids understand that words are made of sounds and everything we speak is made of these little, there's only 44 or 46 um, phonemes that are the actual sounds that we make. And then we move them all around. We do all sorts of things. So really it's nice for kids to know the names of letters, but not that nice. It's much nicer if they know a sound that that letter represents. And teaching children or whomever from an early age that that letters um, letters there's like kind of three parts of a letter. There's the a sound, the name of the letter, and the shape of the letter. The only thing that is consistent is the name of the letter. So knowing a name is nice because it's always going to be named that, but you really need to understand that it can represent different sounds when it's put with something else or um, just depending on the word that these are letters, they aren't always going to represent the same sounds and they aren't always going to look the same, but they'll always have the same name. So let's, under, um, let's underscore this, right? Okay. There are 44 phonemes. Mm-hmm. There are graphemes, which ah. is the word for what the shape is. Mm-hmm. The phonemes are, are the sounds. That's what it, like, this is what a letter or a group of letters could sound like. And it's, it's rough when O-U-G-H rough also sounds like through t-h-r-o-u-g-h also sounds like um uh 
thought, ah, right, thought, but oh, through and rough and like all those things. So what are the sounds that are made? And then what are the groups of letters that are made? And those are the things to start. Like what you've said is start teaching your kids that there are a bunch of different ways of making it, making the ooh sound. It could be double O, like loop. It could be T-H-R-E-W, through. It could be T-H-R-O-U-G-H, like through, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then graphemes, like those are the representation of those sounds. And the only thing that doesn't change, and I think this is really important, what you said is the letters themselves. They don't change. The name of the letter doesn't change. But the shape, it's also important to say the shape changed because we have that. Even that is confusing when you have, you know, capital letters versus small letters and all that. So and, depend, and, I, and I'm sitting here taking notes with a pen and <clears throat> the shapes change all the time based on. Yes, how, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it could, they can look different. And just having the young children um, understand how important their sound, the sounds are. Having them start looking in the mirror when they make sounds. So this is, this is early on. Because so much of it is pre-literacy. Uh, see, we, we go from speech to writing. So we need to, or, you know, to reading, writing, we need to focus a lot on what we do innately. Humans are born to communicate and we do that orally to begin with. That is the tool that we are born with, oral communication. The written language is made up by man. It, we were not born with a certain alphabetic code. We made that up. So we have to take what is natural and kind of get to those basics of the sounds that we make, the, the way, the nuances of our words, the the fluency of our speech patterns and stuff. And that really helps children later on become fluent readers. When we, so, so if I, if people, and the reason I'm saying if people can, there, remember there's 50% of the people out there that aren't real proficient. So if you're a mother and you're like, I don't hear the sounds come apart. I don't know what that means to segment a word. You know, I well, my advice, go just watch a YouTube, see someone segment. You, you know, it, it's a it's a taught thing, like we're saying. It may not be natural, but you may be able to get it very quickly and then help children segment words. Another great thing is just to, you know, say, um, what's, Okay, the word plug, tell me the sounds in plug and you puh, uh, guh. Okay, what's plug without the puh? And to have them then say lug and what's plug without the guh? And this is all oral. They're, they're not, they don't have to see the sound, see the letters or anything. So being oral with sounds and manipulating sounds, moving them around is really a great thing. And then the thing I would tell, um, like, little elementary parents when their kids 
they, you know, that their kids aren't having a struggle that they know of or anything, then they're just doing, going through the normal program and learning to read. Um, telling your child, I guess this is more for a struggler too. There's two things I want to say. One is telling a child, read, oh, my child, I make him read for 20 minutes every night. No, don't make him silently read for 20 minutes. Listen to him read for 20 minutes or for 10 minutes, because I know that takes your time. But you are going to be very, um, be able to be a little more diagnostic if you're actually hearing them read. So this is for a kid who they, you don't think there's a problem or you think it's worth, if you think there's a problem, do not have them read silently. That mm. is ridiculous. They are staring at their book and making stuff up in their head. They are skipping words. They are making up words. It will not make them a better reader. A struggler does not become a better reader by silent reading. And sorry, I'm getting all. Rah. This is awesome. Um, so, right. That's where the energy is. I was, yeah. I was and waiting then, for this to show up. This is awesome. Right. This for, is the passion. And yeah. And, so for, so that's for a struggler. Don't do not let them read by, silently. And it's very unfortunate that most of our uh, classrooms in America start the day with 10 minutes of silent reading or whenever someone needs something to do, they have them silently read. That means every kid in that class who is already behind is behind for another 10 minutes, right? behind for another 20 minutes. So the silent reading stuff is not, that does not help you learn to become a better reader. So um, this is, and, yeah. This so is the, great. Okay, one other thing. So then, so when there's a child that seems like they really are learning, my advice is when they come to a word, when you're sitting there reading with them and they can't, read it. Don't give them the whole word. You give them the part that you know is weird. You give them the part that you know they're struggling with. Um, so in a simple word, like, no, like I know he did that, the K in, if they aren't familiar with that, you're going to say, say, mm. you don't just give them no, you know, so you're just giving them the part they're struggling with. And that makes them a much better reader because they can now are they're understanding the part they knew and the part they didn't know. But that takes a little the parent has to kind of know how to do that and know what they're looking at and which part is the part that's probably stumbling in them. But that's what, so that's advanced. So this this brings us to being able to wrap a little bit and and. Um, and so the question is this, if, if someone has a suspicion about their child or someone in a classroom, um, who may be struggling, they can reach out to the John Corcoran foundation. Yes. You yes. Please, please reach out to us. I mean, just for a conversation, if, uh, and and, and I'm going to say, and if there's an adult out there who's been embarrassed with this thing, that's like, it doesn't have to be a hidden piece of who you are anymore. Like if you want to be a reader and want to be a, even a better reader, mm -hmm. you could also reach out to the John Corcoran Foundation because there are resources there for you too. 
So I, I love, please reach out to us. The other thing that I will say is uh, my dad wrote a book called the teacher who couldn't read. And the wonderful thing about that book is the child, the suffering that my dad went through hasn't changed because it's human suffering and it's shame-based suffering and it's all that. So for parents, um, and there's a lot of big wigs in literacy who still say it's one of the best sort of memoirs of what it feels like. So if you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend who can't quite understand what it would feel like or why this person is showing so much anger and there's really all this, it, it, it gives you a pretty clear um, vision of what the like emotional toll it takes on people who are hiding a secret like this. All right. So let's talk resources. One, check out The Teacher Who Couldn't Read. It's an amazing memoir. It's a great book. Two, the John Corcoran Foundation, which is at where? What phone number and what website? Um, the John Corcoran Foundation.org. You'll find us there. Is it, hang on. Is it the John Corcoran Foundation? No, or John right. Corcoran Foundation. Okay. Um, and Corcoran, it's John with an H, and it's uh, right. So oh. J O H N C O R C O R A N Foundation dot. Okay. And I'm making it in my notes so that it'll show up in my show notes for our, our episode today. And then if they were to call, what number would they call? They will call 760-445-0229. Gets you to the John Corcoran Foundation, whether you've got a child who is struggling or whether you or a friend of yours is struggling with literacy, with reading, being able to read. And then the other resource, obviously, we're big fans of this movie that is, um, it is the life and and struggles and triumphs of John Corcoran and um it highlights so many resources that are out there and um, it sheds a light on some tragedy, which is our public schools. Um, uh, You know, just doing some research, it's, you know, you'll see statistics that range from no, no literacy is only 12%, you know, illiteracy. It's like, well, okay. Is that acceptable? Is that an acceptable norm? And all the way up to 60 and 70%, depending on what it's like, really, there's that many. So, <clears throat> you know, Mark Twain said there are three types of lies. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. So it depends on where you get your information. The statistics are staggering or they're not. Either way, the truth is there are people out there that are struggling with literacy, struggling with reading. So um, The Teacher Who Couldn't Read is an amazing book. The John Corcoran Foundation, johncorcoranfoundation.org, 760-445-0229. That will be in the show notes. 
and then look out for the film The Truth About Reading. Um, Colleen, anything I didn't ask you or that you were hoping I would ask you or uh, any last points that you wanted to make? I don't think so. I love getting to spread the word about literacy, the upcoming movie. Um, I, I truly believe the more we talk about it, the less pain for those who are suffering. And, and they really are suffering and we really do have some answers. So as we come together, you know, let's, we can, we can help a lot of the ills. That's awesome. Very good. My guest today, Colleen Murtis. Thank you for being with me. Thank you. Yay. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. My guest today has been Colleen Murtis from, she is the executive director of the John Corcoran Foundation. Um, we've been talking about literacy and how illiteracy is the hidden crisis in America. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. We'll see you here next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor. 